0: I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, we are glad that you're here. We said the first week that that video is sort of kind of like a reminder and a teaser of like where I could be um, right now. But no, you are in a good place. Hey, uh, we are in our series called Summer in the Psalms. And what we normally do in the summertime is uh, sort of take time to intentionally go through this book of the Bible. We've studied the Psalms of Ascent and looked at various aspects, and so we've just started making our way through each psalm. And if you want to catch up on that, you can go to our website and catch up on uh, past sermons. And what we've learned through Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 2 is both of those psalms sort of function as an introduction to the rest of the book of Psalms. What Psalm chapter 1 teaches us about meditation, and we learned about how to meditate on Scripture, Psalm 1 tells us, hey, this is the way that you need to use the rest of this book. That the book of Psalms isn't so much about like skimming through and just reading real quickly. It's about meditating and marinating on these beautiful words. And then we learned last week, Psalm chapter 2 is a is a messianic psalm. And what that simply means is it's a psalm that prophesies the future coming of Jesus Christ. And we learned that Jesus is this sovereign ruler of the universe. That no matter what's going on in the world, that Psalm chapter two opens with, why do the nations rage? And we learned that the human condition has never changed and that God's word is timeless and can speak to our current situation in the here and now. And really, both of those Psalms work together to tell us that when we meditate and marinate on Scripture, that should always point us to the Son of God, that that when we meditate on the Word of God, it should always lead us to the Son of God. And now we enter into sort of the normal ebb and flow of the rest of the book. But maybe this will help as an introduction to kind of set us up for Psalm chapter 3. Do do some of you remember the very famous movie, The Godfather, right? Make him an offer he can't refuse, right? I mean, Marlon Brando, Francis Ford Coppola, um, epic series. In the second Godfather, Michael has taken over the family. He now runs the organization. And there's the very famous heartbreaking scene with his brother Fredo. You remember the scene when Fredo sells out the family? And and you can never do that. You can never do that. And, And there's just this beautiful scene where Al Pacino kisses his brother Fredo, and he says, I know it was you, Fredo. You break my heart, right? I mean, just this epic scene. It's about betrayal. It's about relationships. It's about conflict. It's about all of that. And I think that's why so many people relate to a movie scene like that. Well, listen, in a very roundabout way, um, Psalm chapter 3 is kind of like that, okay? Okay. Now, now follow me for a little bit. We need to know the context of what's happening in Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3, we get a number of firsts, if you will. Um, psalm chapter 3 is the first psalm that we actually see the word psalm. If you look there in your Bible, there's a little bit of an introduction. And it says, a psalm of David. We learned that the word psalm is really like a song. And and what's interesting is is that these songs were sung as the corporate body. And so these were corporate worship songs. This is also the first psalm that gives us an author, David. And so in the first section of the book of Psalms, David writes a lot of them. And, And they're his prayers about what's going on in his life. And this is the very first psalm that we get the context. And and if you see there in the introduction, it says a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son, now enters the godfather. No, 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 right? Listen, if you want to know some backdrop, I highly encourage you to read 2 Samuel 15 through 18. But just to catch you up, um, we've learned that in David's life, that David uh, had a grievous sin and committed adultery with the lady by the name of Bathsheba. One of the things that God said would happen as a result of David's sin is that there would be continuous conflict within his family. Now listen, I can just pause and we can bridge an application here. One of the things that God says to David is this, your sin has been forgiven. That's good news, amen? Amen. God tells David, hey, this grievous sin has been forgiven, that there's no condemnation for you, David. But then God says this, but there are consequences to your sin. And one of the things that we say here at Westside is, is when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. And oftentimes us as Christians struggle. We go, well, God said that he would forgive me and that he would remove this from me. As far as the East is from the West, yes and amen. But there are still consequences to our choices. And one of the consequences for David was deep family conflict. And what we see is his son Absalom in chapters 15, 16, 17, and 18, Absalom causes a revolt in the kingdom and tries to steal his father's throne. I mean, mean, horrible, horrible things happen in these chapters. And what we see is David, the king. David, the king of Israel, the anointed one, God's chosen has such a deep family conflict that he can't sleep at night, that he literally has to run away and is on the run from his own son, that's how deep the family conflict is. Now, today in Psalm chapter 3, we're met with the whirlwind of emotions that David has. David is dealing with a family conflict, a situation that is so grievous that it keeps him up at night and that he's going through all of this emotional turmoil. Um, um, just for a moment, Do you think maybe that we could relate with Psalm chapter 3 today? I mean, anybody have any family conflict that's going on? Oh, no? Oh, y'all are all good? Okay, right? Anybody dealing with the situation that maybe kind of sort of keeps you up at night as to what's going on? Listen... What we know about this situation and how we see David process this situation. Listen, I believe today that if you tune in just for these next few moments, listen, I really believe, I really believe that God has a word for you today and that some of us walked in here today with deep, heavy burdens. Some of us walked in here today with the same thing that David's enemies were saying, that that God can't even deliver you from this situation, and I believe that through the power of God's Word and His Spirit that you can find freedom in here today. This is good news, but there's a guiding question that will help us with Psalm chapter 3, and really Psalm chapter 3, there's this question that will guide us, and it's this, how can I remain faithful when I am fearful and emotional? I love what the ESV Study Bible says. The ESV Study Bible is a great resource if you're looking for a study Bible. And it says this, the purpose then of the information in the title of this psalm is to add a concreteness to it. Here is how David models genuine faith in dire straits and how us as the readers can learn how to do the same in ours. Listen, the question is not, will I face a family conflict or will I face turmoil? It's interesting that we see these first two Psalms sort of um, lead us and guide us into the rest of the book and then boom, we're met with a conflict immediately. And I think that is probably the more proper picture of the Christian life. Um, A couple Sundays ago, we baptized eight people on a Sunday. And it was just, yes, we can clap for that. Praise Jesus. It was incredible. And I was talking to one individual that had gotten baptized. And we were speaking, and he called me that week, and he said, Pastor, I feel like my life is falling apart. I just get, I mean, like I surrender my life. I just got baptized and I have had literally like the worst week of my life. And he was downcast and I said, you know what? That actually sounds a lot more like a biblical life than sometimes what we're told. I mean, we see Jesus get baptized and then immediately he's met with conflict with the enemy. So listen, the question is not, will I? The question is, When I, how can I remain faithful amidst all of these circumstances? And listen, we're going to talk about emotional health and everything in here today. And I believe that as we bust down this psalm, we can really get practical today. And so if you're dealing with a situation, a circumstance, or something is going on, I want to look at three things today and ask three questions. We're going to learn how to name it, frame it, And proclaim it we're gonna name it and ask ourselves what's the bad news we're gonna frame it and then ask ourselves what do I know to be true in this situation and then we're gonna proclaim it what is the good news okay so how do I remain faithful in a situation that I'm so fearful and emotional in the first one is this name it what's the bad news I mean look at these verses As the psalm opens up, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. Selah is a very interesting word that we see in the book of Psalms. It's probably a musical term that means to pause and to meditate and to stop and to think about. Uh, Maybe in the musical aspect, it was where there was a rest, if you will, in the cadence of it. And so what the Bible is telling us is that we need to pause and we need to stop and we need to evaluate this situation. But if you look at the words that David is using, oh, Lord, it's passionate and, and what we have to do when we enter into a situation that seems to be so overwhelming, it's almost like David doesn't even know where to start. I mean, how many? How many? I mean, anytime you get into a situation like that, your emotions get high and everything seems to be bad. But, but what does it mean, the bad news? What does that term mean? Um, we learn this through our uh, Gravity Leadership friends, and they say this, The bad news is a lie that we believe about God, ourselves, others, or reality. So anytime we enter into a tough situation, family conflict, overwhelming, I can't sleep at night, there's some bad news in there and that situation is saying something to you. It's like, well, you know, I know why she said this or I know why they sent that message Or, I know why my boss did blank. And then, what we do is we start believing this lie. And this lie begins to affect how we interact in that situation. What's David's bad news? Um, David's bad news in this psalm is everyone has abandoned me, even God. That's the bad news that he sees. I mean, his son is out to get him, the kingdom that he ruled. And, and, and it says that his enemies say not even God can save him. That's the bad news that David is hearing. So what does David do? Well, look right there at verse 4. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Listen, I love what David does here. David has this highly emotional situation. And what he does is he brings it to God. David brings his emotions to the Lord. And listen, can we just pause right here for a moment? Because I believe that all as Christians, we should be a people, what we learned last week, who are a non-anxious presence in the world when everything else is going on, when the news tells you this, when all of, everything is bad, that we as Christians are the light of the world. And one of the ways that we can do that is learning how to engage our emotions. And listen, we are not taught this. And oftentimes, you know, a counselor will tell you that your family of origin and how you process emotions growing up is how you do that today now in relationships. But what are some poor ways that we engage our emotions that actually hurt us instead of help us? And, and maybe this list will be helpful. Maybe it'll offend you. Welcome to West Side. We're glad you're here. But here's some poor ways, I think, that we engage our emotions. The first one, just outright venting them. Now, we do need to process them. But when I mean venting them, I mean uh, you for some reason think that everybody who are friends with you on Facebook wants to know a play-by-play of what's going on in your marriage. Okay? Newsflash, love you. We don't. Okay? And that's not the right avenue to do that. I heard another preacher say this. We need a lot more Christians who spend less time on Facebook and more time on their face in prayer. And I think that's a good thing. So venting, just spew, blasting them out. Secondly, stuffing them. Just, I'm not going to talk about that. We're not going to acknowledge that. Some of us grew up in families where, I mean, there could just be a bomb getting ready to go off right there in the living room, the, the ticker's counting down, and we're just not supposed to acknowledge it. We're just not supposed to talk about that and stuff that. And listen, the reality is, is it will come out. Whatever fills, spills. And most of the time when you stuff it, it's an explosion. Or how about this, bowing to our emotions. That's what the culture says. That every emotion that you feel, you need to follow. And every emotion that you feel is right. That's why oftentimes in conversations, the sentence is, well, like somebody could say something to you, a very truthful statement, a right, correct assessment. And we respond with, yeah, but I feel like. And what you're doing is you're bowing to your emotions. And listen, we say this at Westside, that your emotions are a good gauge to wake up and go, man, this is kind of how I'm feeling today. We're learning how to name it. But they're a good gauge, but they're a poor guide. You can't let them guide you. Or how about this? Fixing our emotions. It's always fixing. It's always I need a checklist and I need to do this now. And I feel this way and I'm not supposed to feel this way. And I need to fix this and I need to do this. Hey, listen, We are created in the image and likeness of God. That is called the imago Dei, as the theologians call it. And one of the ways that we can see that we're created in the image and likeness of God is by our emotions. That God has emotions in the scriptures. That God laughs, we learned last week. He gets angry. God has emotions. It's okay to feel the way that you feel. Please listen to me. I believe there's been so much damage done to Christians when it comes to situations like anxiety and worry. And then you've heard some preacher rail and say, you feel that way and you don't even love God. I can't believe you feel that. And now you have all this guilt and all this shame. Listen, it's okay to feel that way. It's just not okay to stay that way. We've got to process this. So... The last one is outright denying them. Just, I don't feel this way, I'm not going to feel this. But what does David do? I cried aloud to the Lord. David prayed his emotions. And listen, West Side, we say this all the time. Prayer is one of the primary ways that we can process our emotions. Men, can I speak to you for just a moment? Oftentimes, men don't know what to do with their emotions. And one of the culturally accepted emotions that a man can have is anger. And so now a man is angry, but actually, deep down, he's shameful, he's fearful. We've got to learn as men how to do this, that Jesus wept, that he engaged his emotions. And prayer is one of the primary ways that we do this. Notice I said one of the primary ways. One of the things that we believe deeply here at Westside is that we're thankful for God's common grace, like doctors and medicine and these type of things. And for some reason, people get weird when it comes to emotional or mental health, like if your transmission goes out, what do you do? Well, you don't pray and fast and go to the book of Leviticus, right? You don't do that. You take it to a, to a mechanic, right? So should we do with our body as well. But listen, prayer is one of the primary ways that we process our emotions. And David does this for us. Um, I'll never forget. Uh, you know, learning to be a parent, which is like a very scary thing, right? You're like entrusted with this soul, this person, like, ah. But anytime, you know, a kid would get injured or hurt, one of the things that we teach our kids is, hey, even amidst the crying and amidst the screaming, you've got to tell me where it hurts. You've got to talk to daddy or mommy. You have to let us know so we can help you in that aspect. And when I read this psalm this week, It's almost like David is telling his heavenly father where it hurts. He's talking. He's processing it. So you have to name it. Are you feeling anxiety? Are you feeling worry? Are you feeling fear about the situation? You need to name it. And you need to ask yourself, what's the bad news? What's this telling me? And what's this allowing you to do is it's allowing you to step back and to gather yourself. What are some questions? What are some questions that you could ask yourself that would help you sort of name it and find what's going on? Here here are just a few that that may help. What is at stake for me in this situation? Oftentimes, we're responding to something. So let's say the boss made a decision and didn't inform you, and now you sort of feel a little bit threatened. You're a little bit um, on the defensive, and what's at stake for you is, is your job. Or maybe uh, the two other friends went out to eat and they didn't ask you and you saw them and then your mind and you're like, why didn't they? um, What's at stake for you is is your identity. Do they love me? Do they want to hang out? What's at stake for you? The second one, do I react this way in any other areas of my life? Listen, a big deal is patterns in our life. We see this in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are patterns that we should have. Or how about this last one? What do I want? Man, for some of us, that's a very hard question to answer. That when we actually get down to it, you see our desires determine our direction. And so listen, we've got to name it. I see that David does that in this psalm. Oh, God, my fo- these people are coming at me, and this is how I feel, God. He names it. But now we have to do some work. The second thing is frame it. What do I know to be true? Because look at what he starts to do now. In verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept, and I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. But jump back and look at verse 3. There's a change after the first two verses. David names it and lays it out. And then verse 3, but you, O Lord. There it is right there. There's a big but right there in verse 3, okay? It's okay, I'm just reading the Bible. It's supposed to be a joke. Whoa, okay, right? But you, there's a shift. David is changing something. Listen, oftentimes in an overwhelming situation, everything seems to be bad. Everything. There's nothing good. And oftentimes this our, our personality plays into this. We just want to escape from the conflict. There's nothing good here. And everything bleeds together. And you almost don't even know where to find your footing. What do I even do right now? David says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. I lay down, I slept. I cried aloud. And then I love what he does in verse 6. I will not be afraid. David is processing these things. But in order for us to frame it, we have to ask, what do I know to be true? And what David is experiencing is, is anxiety. I mean, he's saying that, like, the reason why I laid down and I slept tells me that he couldn't sleep before he processed this. And and one of the things that's so powerful about anxiety and why the scripture speaks so much to it. Listen, in light of the pandemic, mental health experts, doctors are talking about it. There's a real problem going on with anxiety and fear in our nation and with individuals. But anxiety takes a future possibility and it makes it a present reality now so it's that future situation that what if what could happen and it makes you respond and react to it now david's asking how can i get my throne back is my family always going to be in conflict is there ever going to be peace it's a future possibility that makes it a present reality so what do you do Um, a couple months ago, I read a book about Jeff Bezos and Amazon called Amazon Unbound. I'm just fascinated by this conglomerate of a business and the richest man in the world. But it, always, it wasn't always that way. There was a moment for Amazon in 2001 when their stock prices plummeted to $6 a share. Um, Just to let you know how important that is, their current stock price as of this week was $3,600 a share. Um, Everybody said that it was going to fail. It was actually nicknamed in 2001 Amazon.bomb. Like it was just going to blow up. Everybody was waiting on this thing. Well, the numbers came out. Everybody in the Amazon office place was on pins and needles as to how Jeff Bezos was going to react. What is he going to do? Well, that day in the office, he walks in. Everybody locks eyes on him. He walks into the main conference room, calls a staff meeting, waits for everybody to get in the room, gets a marker, and writes on the dry erase board in bold letters, I am not my stock prices. And then gathers the team and says, we're not going to quit. This is our mission. This is who we are. We're going to continue. And um, I think he's having a pretty good day today, okay? But what did he do? He made a conscious choice and effort to remember what his identity truly is. What do I know to be true in light of this? Listen, here's what I'm trying to say, and we say this all the time. I know always beats what if. Listen, if you are in a season of your life where you're saying, what if, what if, what if, what if this happens? What if reconciliation never comes? What if this takes place? What if the doctor says this? What if my boss says this? Listen, that is a never-ending journey. And what can get you off that is what you know. And what David shows us is he gives us three things that he knows as to who God is. And they're all right there in verse 3. But, O Lord, you are a shield about me. David knows that God is my protector, that God will protect me. But it's interesting. He's saying that you're my protector, but he's still sort of running for his life. What kind of protecting does he mean? I learned this this week, and it's fascinating. One commentator pointed out that the word that David uses for shield is the Hebrew word magin. Now, there's two words for shield, and and this is sort of what ancient shields look like. The normal word for the word shield was magin with an e, and that means the, the, the sort of small shield for battle. David doesn't use that word. He used Magin with an A, not an E. And that is, oh, this is so good. That is the full body shield for the soldiers that are on the front lines of the battle. It provides complete and total protection. That tells me this. God protects us when we're in the fight. God protects us for the fight, to engage in the battle. God, God is with you when you go headstrong into the family conversation. God is with you when you go headstrong into your fears. I love what one commentator said. The Psalms are prayers for those engaged in an ongoing spiritual conflict. No one else needs to even bother opening up the book. That's what this is for. It's for God being our protector. The second thing is this. David knows that God is my provider. He says, you're a shield. And then he says this, you're my glory. My glory? That's a weird thing to say. Glory is always ascribed to God. What does my glory mean? Well, think about it. David's a king who doesn't have a kingdom. That he's been removed from his throne. That David doesn't know what his identity is. And what he's saying is that my identity comes from the Lord. That even though I'm in this situation and people are saying this about me, and I don't have this, and I used to have this, and I was this person, but because of my sin and these consequences, I'm struggling with my identity, but I know that the Lord provides my identity. Listen, this is good news for us that in Christianity, your identity is not achieved. That in every conversation that you have, you don't have to say and interject, well, this is who I am and I'm this. And I'm always trying to one up and trying to do these things and lay your identity down on the line. It's not achieved, it's received. It is good news. And then the last thing is this, that God is my preserver. God's my protector, he's my provider, and then he's my preserver. That you are the lifter of my head. Do you know what that means? A lifter of my head. If you're in battle and your head's down, not going to go well for you, okay? That God is lifting and sustaining his head for the battle. Listen, I don't know who you are, okay? I don't know what you're going through. But if you have a family and if you have breath in your lungs and you're alive in 2021, the odds are that there's probably a lot going on in your life. And you have a choice. You have a choice that you can keep living in the what if world and that never ends. Or you can start today by I know. I know that despite how this circumstance turns out, I know who God is. So we've named it. What is the bad news? We framed it. What do I know to be true? And then the last thing is this we proclaim it. What is the good news? What is the good news in this situation? And I love what David does. I, I mean, look at this, verse six. I mean, this is, I've lived with this all week. Verse six I will not be afraid. David makes a choice. David says, in light of everything that's going on, he doesn't downplay the situation. Listen, Christianity is not like hallmark positivity. It's not like there's been this horrible diagnosis or this horrible situation and you just smile like the cleavers and go, well, it's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay, right? It might be a bad situation, but you have a choice you can say i will not be afraid listen here's what i'm trying to say sometimes confidence in god is a choice it is a choice for us so i don't know if we if some of us need to write this down put it on a sticky note and put it somewhere but i am going to start every day with confidence in god and it's a choice That when we come in, even gather for corporate worship. I love one of the songs that we sing, yes, I will. That worship is a choice to have confidence in God. But what is David declaring? He's declaring truth. And what is the truth? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Wow. What's the good news? What's the good news for David and the good news over our lives today? The good news, no matter how bad it gets, God is good and he's faithful to his people. Listen, that's true of David and that's true of you today who are in Christ. No matter how bad, listen, there might be more things coming. There probably is in the relationship, in the doctor diagnosis, in all of this. But here's what, on the authority of God's Word that I'm telling you today, no matter how bad it gets, God is good. And He's faithful. And please don't make this mistake where we interpret our view of God through our circumstances. And that's when we start saying, well, is God good because then this happened and this, that, or the other. We don't interpret God through our circumstances. We interpret our circumstances through what we know of God. And that's what changes everything. In closing, i want to ask you this. Does the name Jane Marwinsky ring a bell? Probably not. But her stage name... Nightbird probably might be more familiar for you. Um, this video went viral of this young lady singing on America's Got Talent. She did it back in June. It's the 16th season. And the article said this. The seemingly impossible to impress Simon Cow with tears in his eyes hit the coveted golden buzzer. What the golden buzzer is, is it automatically puts you on to the finals. And she sung her song, It's Okay. That's the name of the song. I would encourage you to go look up the video. You can see it on YouTube or social media. It went viral. And the lyrics just simply sing, It's Okay, It's Okay, It's Okay. And she tells a story, and Simon Cow hits the golden buzzer. Two days later, It's Okay was the number one song on iTunes. But the irony of the whole situation is that Nightbird's life is everything but okay. In 2017, Nightbird first received the diagnosis that we all dread, cancer. She learned that she likely had six months to live as she began her battle with stage 3 breast cancer. In 2018, she was declared cancer-free. But her celebration was short-lived just a few months later as she began a second battle with cancer, facing single-digit chances of survival. If fate didn't already seem to be against her, the the battle became all the more lonely when her husband of five years left her. She was alone, winning the second battle. And on June 8th, Nightbird auditioned for America's Got Talent, captivating the audience and judges. But after the song, she revealed that her cancer was back. Now it's in her liver, her spine, her lungs. It's all over her body. And everybody was in awe that she could sing the the, the lyrics, it's okay, with cancer filling her body. The host of the show said, you're the voice that everybody needs to hear this year. And you know what? How can Nightbird do that? Nightbird is a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. She loves God. She has a blog. And during one of her treatments... She wrote this on her blog and the name of the blog was God on the bathroom floor. When she was sick with the chemo, feeling like she was dying, she wrote a blog saying that God was faithful and present with her even on the bathroom floor while she was throwing up. She says these words. When it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of just simply taking it away. Sometimes he does. Instead, he adds to it. And here's what I mean He's more of a giver than a taker. You see, he doesn't just take away my darkness, he adds light. He doesn't just spare me of thirst, He brings me water. He doesn't just cure my loneliness, He comes near and is present to me. So why then do we believe that when we are in pain, it must mean that God is far? He's never far because He is always near. Listen, I don't know who you are, but I come bearing good news today in the name of Jesus Christ who was raised from the grave that no matter what's going on in your life and no matter how bad it is, God is good and that He is faithful to His people. And there's a scene when Jesus is getting ready to leave His disciples and their hearts are so troubled. I declare these words that Jesus spoke over His disciples to you today. Let not your hearts be troubled believe in God and believe also in me heavenly father God we come before you today with such heavy burdens so many emotions a situation that we don't know if we can remain faithful but we're so grateful for your word God help us name what's the bad news what's going on what's at stake for me in this situation Oh God, help us draw to mind what we know and what we know about you, Jesus. And what we know is that you are our protector, that you are our provider, and that you're our preserver. And God, help us declare the good news that you are always present with us and that you're faithful. God, in this room today, there are many hearts that are troubled. And I'm so thankful. I'm so convicted of what David said. I will not be afraid. And God is a man who has so many insecurities in his life. Today I declare that I will not be afraid. That I don't have to earn it, but you provide it for us. God, we have a million needs in this place. But we have a God that can meet every need. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.